morning, New Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church of Newark, Delaware, where our pastor is Dontel A. Halls Sr., the place where love abides. Uh, this is Deacon Dylan. You will be live with me for the Sunday School Digest. Uh, today's date is November 8th, 2020. And I pray that you will get something from our lesson. We'll be coming from the Old Testament, continuing in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 15 to 24. If you have your books, we are in the Union Gospel Press, lesson number 10. Uh, Today's lesson deals with God confronting the sin. God confronts the sin. Uh, This lesson takes place uh, around 1445 BC. Uh, The place is Mount Sinai. And this is immediately following Moses coming down from the mount with the two tablets with God's holy inscription of his covenant with the children of Israel, uh, namely the Ten Commandments. Um, This lesson is really about a whole lot of things, um, but four specific things that I'd like to bring to light before we get to the lesson. Uh, One is a lesson of patience, a lesson of patience. And when we're talking about patience, I really want to highlight having the ability to wait for the blessing that God has in store for you. Having the ability to wait for the blessing that God has in store for you. I'll go into that a little bit deeper. Uh, The next lesson within the lesson is a lesson of accountability. Accountability Uh, in all manner of things, especially those things pertaining to God's work. Um, That is very important. There's also a lesson uh, within these pages of abstaining from assimilation. I'll say that again. Abstaining from assimilation. Uh, Not watering down, not mixing, not changing what you know to be true worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the one and only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not assimilating, not watering down, mixing, changing what you know to be true in order to please anyone. Uh, That is another lesson within this lesson. And the last thing I'd like to kind of bring to light is the symbolism of our rebuke. The symbolism of our rebuke. Uh, There's some important things in the lesson as it pertains to the rebuke that Moses had of the people um, and the symbolism behind it, which I hope we'll get to. So stay tuned. Uh, Hopefully you'll get something from this lesson Um, and hopefully it will be able to be applied to your life. Uh, The first portion of the lesson, it deals with the description of the tablets. And uh, as I said this before, I'm not really I'm, I'm no biblical scholar anyway, but the Old Testament is something that's really challenging for me because I, I find myself having to um, really, really stop and read everything, which is a good thing because I learn myself. Um, and the description of the tablets, it talks about 
um, how the Lord had previously informed Moses of the rebellion taking place in the camp of Israel while he was on the mountain in God's presence. Moses had interceded for the people, pleading with the Lord to turn from his anger and not consume them. Uh, It goes on to say that interestingly, it is at this point that Moses started down the mountain um, and he was met by Joshua uh, part of the way down the mountain. But what I want to really highlight is the tapestry that he had in his hands, uh, if that's the correct word, the tablets he had um, that were inscribed by God Um You know, the Hebrews were on the cusp, the Israelites were on the cusp of receiving the first edition, personally engraved, autobiographical account of God's laws and their covenant with God. Um, If we had to use some adjectives to describe the tablets that he was carrying down to to present to the people, they would be adjectives such as they were holy, they were sacred. They were precious. Uh, You would even say that they were cherished. Um, After all, they were written by God himself. Uh, The fact that they were written by God suggests that they had a significant purpose for the Israelites. And what happens immediately after that is such a grave tragedy. Um, And that's the lesson of patience I'd, I'd like to bring to light. Their sin, what Moses found them doing um, when he and Joshua eventually descended the mountain, he found them uh, gyrating, dancing, worshiping an idol. Their sin was so grave that they never got the full uh, blessing behind being able to actually look upon the engraved tablets that God had written for them. Um, They missed out because they didn't have the patience to wait until Moses's return. They had to do it their way. They had to go and create a God because the God that had brought them from Egypt And brought them out of all the things that they had encountered in the wilderness, all the foes, all of the people that tried to overtake them, uh, the the need for food and drink that was provided for them, all the miracles that wasn't enough for them to wait the little bit of time for Moses to get back down from the mountain took a little over a month for them to get tired of that. He was up there for 40 days. Um, And if you just think, are we exhibiting impatience sometimes? And if we are, what blessings are we missing out that God has in store for us? But because of our impatience, we don't get the full brunt of. We don't get the full benefit of it. It's almost as if we're cutting off our nose to spite our face because we have to have it our way and we have to have it now. Uh, There's a lesson in that patience, being able to wait for God's blessing and what he really has in store for you. Hope you got that. The next section of the lesson, it deals with 
Moses meeting with Joshua. And even though it's only three paragraphs long, I thought it was significant um, because it kind of hints on accountability. Um, there's a there's a couple different parts of accountability within this lesson. There's accountability as leaders. There's accountability as in an accountability partner. Um, and there's also an accountability uh, to each other, which is kind of the same as being an accountability partner. Um, what I'd like to say is that uh, Joshua, it says uh, Joshua had accompanied Moses part of the way when he ascended the mountain 40 days earlier. Now, coming back down, Moses met Joshua again at some place on the mountain. Whether Joshua had remained there for 40 days waiting for Moses's return or had come back up the mountain in anticipate, anticipation of his return, we're not told. However, he had been there long enough to be unaware of what was taking place at the camp below. So you got to go there with me for a second. Joshua appeared to be waiting on Moses as he journeyed a portion of the way up the mountain with Moses, and he was found waiting on Moses when Moses was coming back. What he did in that time in between, we're not really sure. Um, but what I'd like to point out is that in ministry sometimes, um, in various forms of ministry, um, there are highs and there are lows, right? You're not always going to be on the high point. You're not always going to be uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Surely what Moses was about to experience was going to be a low for him um, as he prepared to face as he considered them stiff necked people. Right. We know that he was he God had already told him that his people were down there sinning. But uh, we know that God never leaves us. Or forsakes us. Um, and we know how much it must have meant for Moses, or we can imagine how must it how much it must have meant for Moses to have somebody with him as he was about to go through what I would imagine would be a spiritual low. You just got finished seeing the glory of God, the hinder part of the glory of God. You just got finished being uh, bestowed with God's written covenant. I mean, literally uh, the stones that God had inscribed um, and you're preparing to go down the mountain to people who are sinning and they couldn't wait for your return. They couldn't wait to hear what God had for them. Um, maybe far-fetched, although I don't believe so. Uh, is it possible to deduce that maybe Joshua was, was strategically placed by God to kind of be a little bit of a confident for him on his way down. I don't know. I mean, he was definitely at his low point and he was preparing to go see his brother, Aaron, who you would imagine would have had his back. But here we see that his uh, relationship with Joshua at that moment was probably closer than his relationship with his own brother um, because he probably felt betrayed. I, I can't imagine what Moses was feeling, but I do know that it must have been somewhat a relief to have somebody there to talk with 
the rest of the halfway down the mountain. Um, Proverbs 18 and 24 says, a man that hath friends must shoot himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. At that moment in time, Joshua was that friend. Um, so that's a lesson in accountability. Sometimes you may not have the words to say, but just be there uh, because we're going to have our spiritual highs and we're going to have our spiritual lows. Um, and that goes with any part of life, especially as we do work uh, for God. I hope you got that part. Um, the next part deals with the breaking of the tablets uh, as Moses confronts their sin. It says Joshua must have been shocked by what he saw when he and Moses came in view of the Israelite camp. Moses had been prepared for this sight by the Lord's revelation in verses seven through eight. Yet seeing it with his own eyes infuriated him. The text says that Moses saw the calf and the dancing. And as a result, his anger waxed hot. The golden image of the calf or bull was the center of the Israelites' attention. While the people and even Aaron, we just got finished talking about that. It's Moses' brother, half-brother. While the people and even Aaron proclaimed their celebration, a feast to the Lord, right? The one who had brought them out of Egypt, the image in reality represented the rejection of the Lord and his laws. The Lord had forbidden the making of idols and the worship of them or the use of them in worship. The idol standing in the midst of the camp was an affront to the Lord and to anyone who valued his commands. This evil was compounded by the noisy scene of people dancing before the image. Uh, here we're talking about the importance of abstaining from assimilation, right? The importance of abstaining from assimilation. Um, although the Israelites proclaimed their celebration was a feast to the Lord, their intermingled, I'm sorry, they intermingled their praise with a big problem. And that big problem was in the form of a false idol. Uh, notice when you proclaim something, it comes from your mouth, right? Anybody can make a proclamation. We've seen a lot of that, right? Anybody can say anything. However, the real praise comes from your heart, right? That's why, you know, you can't judge someone else's praise, because you don't know if it's coming from their heart, right? Now, what you can do is you can listen to their proclamation, but the proclamation doesn't always line up with the condition of someone's heart. I think it's important that we look at the signs. The signs should line up with one another. You can't say that, oh, we're making a feast to the Lord, but yet you have an idol in the midst because what you're saying is not showing evident evidence and proof by what you're doing, which is a revelation from your heart. 
imagine I use this as an example and it might not make sense, but I hope you get it. Uh, imagine taking some fresh cold milk uh, and you're going to get your favorite cereal. I'm a Frosted Flakes, Honey Nut Cheerios kind of guy. And you get ready to eat your breakfast. You got your fresh cold milk and you got your nice fresh bowl of cereal. But before you take your first bite, you're going to add some more milk to it, right? You didn't have enough milk in the bowl. However, this milk is sour. It's got chunks of curd and mildew in it. Would you still accept that meal? Clearly you wouldn't, right? Maybe it's a bad example, but it's just a microcosm of what the Israelites did. They said they were going to serve God. They said they wanted to worship him. You prepared the music. You did all these things. I would imagine you had sacrifices, but then you threw an idol in there. Those things don't line up, right? You can't serve God and mammon. Uh, God deserves our true praise and our true worship. If you turn to Matthew 6 and 24, uh, Matthew 6 and 24, it reads, I know you're turning, I can hear the pages. Matthew 6 and 24. It reads, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he would hold the one, hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I know that word mammon is really deals with uh, riches or money, but we can throw anything in there, money, riches, idols, anything that is not of God. You can't serve anything else except for God, right? Because um, God alone deserves our true praise. And this is probably the biggest, and it says it right here, the idol standing in the midst of the camp was an affront to the Lord. It was an affront. It was right in the middle. It was the center of the tension. So there's no way they could have doctored it up and said, oh, you know, that's just the golden calf. That's not really a part of the worship service. Uh, it had the center of attention. Um, and we know that God is a jealous God and he doesn't want anybody beside him uh, or before him, which clearly had they waited to receive those tablets, they would have seen that on the Ten Commandments. Again, uh, we got to remember not to assimilate uh, we have to abstain from assimilation, especially when it's in direct contrast to what God has for us. Um, we'll keep going. It goes on to say that there is much freedom in our worship of the Lord, and it is reflected in so many different styles of worship in our churches. Such diversity is to be expected in the worldwide body of Christ. In fact, scripture recognizes various expressions of worship from quiet reflection and prayer to joyous and exuberant praise. We just talked about that, right? Um, however, this does not mean that we are free to worship God in any way we please. Jesus told the Samaritan woman that those who worship God must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. The truth about God cannot be compromised for the sake of unity or appeal or perceived relevance. We cannot offer substitutes for the Lord himself 
and then call it worshiping the Lord. Um, You can't add anything else to the worship because the worship has to be pure. The minute you start adding things that are not pure, I didn't say changing the way you worship. I said the things, the minute you start adding things that are not pure, you are polluting the worship, thereby spoiling the whole thing. Um, And that's what the Israelites did the minute they introduced a false god, an idol, in the midst with the singing and the dancing and the sacrificing. All right. We'll keep going. It says Moses was horrified by the sight before him and his anger burned. His wrath was fully justified. He was not angered that they had abandoned him, but that they had spurned the Lord. His response was to cast the stone tablets he held to the ground where they shattered. Um, And I got to be honest with you, when I first read this, um, I've read it before, but when I first like really read it just now and studied it, my initial response was, you know, I understand that Moses was upset, but I wish he would have held on to those things because they were written by God. And part of me still feels that way. I mean, maybe by some chance they would be in a museum somewhere today for us to read. Who knows? Um, But as I kept reading, I understood um, what I'm about to kind of bring up in my next little mini point here is the symbolism of his rebuke, the symbolism of his rebuke and behind his rebuke. It was very significant. And I understand why now, why he did that, why he broke the tablets. Uh, Moses did this where everyone could see. Uh, Exodus 32 and 19 says that this was beneath the mount, that is at the foot of the mountain. The exact same Hebrew phrase in Exodus 24 and 4 to describe where Moses built a legitimate altar for the sacrifices that inaugurated the nation's covenant with the Lord. So that's kind of describing where he did it. He was right at the bottom of the mountain, probably still uh, on a little uh, elevated platform, but where everybody could see him. Right. Then it says. Breaking the stone tablets thus appears to have been quite deliberate, not the rash act of a man whose anger had gotten the best of him. Uh, Moses never expressed regret for doing this, and the Lord rebuked him for it. Uh, I neglected to actually read that portion of scripture, so let me read that just so you can get it in context. Um, I'm going to read Exodus 32, 15 to 24. Exodus 32, 15 to 24. It says, and Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf 
and the dancing. And Moses's anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out his hands and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and the ground it I'm sorry and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest thy people. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us out out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto him, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. So that's the lesson scripture for today. I apologize, I should have read it in the beginning. But anyway, let's jump back. We see that Moses broke it as he came down from the mount, uh, right kind of in the midst of the people at the bottom of the mountain where everybody could see him. And we were talking about the symbolism of his rebuke. Um, And it was important for him to do it and where he did it and how he did it. Uh, It says Moses never expressed regret for doing this and the Lord never rebuked him for it. Instead, Moses's breaking of the tablets was an important symbolic act done carefully, deliberately and openly for the benefit of the Israelites because of the way violation of a covenant is routinely described in the ancient Semitic world as a breaking of that covenant. Undoubtedly, the people understood the symbolism of Moses's act. They had much more to be concerned about than the anger of Moses. They had offended the holy God with whom they had entered a solemn covenant. So if we're talking about that symbolism of the rebuke, symbolism of our rebuke, I should say, um, it's important that he, that Moses, uh, broke the tablet um, and where he did it and how he did it because the meaning of the tablet being broken resonated with the transgression or transgressions that the Israelites had committed against God that immediately triggered at least for some of them uh, uh oh what did I just do Um, I know, you know, for example, as a parent, there are times when you have to reprimand or rebuke your child openly um, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes that may be to positively affect uh, the other siblings that see what's going on. Right. You don't want them to go down the same path. So now I have to somewhat make an example of what the one child did so that the benefit of everybody can see it. Um, Sometimes it's because you have to make an important stance on such an egregious violation. Uh, We do it sometimes to represent, hey, listen, there's order in life, right? God has an order. 
there is law and order and there are repercussions for you breaking that order. Um, there's meaning behind the rebuke. Uh, the lesson that you hope that your child will gain from your rebuke is oftentimes more important than the violation that caused the rebuke in the first place. I'll say that again. Sometimes the lesson behind the chastisement that you're chastising your kid or uh, you're openly rebuking something, sometimes the lesson or the, the importance of that open stance against something is actually more important than the act itself because you want to set the tone. You need to set the record straight. There's a there's a meaning, a driving force that you got to get, you know, the point across. And you, you can go back and forgive the person later, but it just has to be dealt with right then and there. Um, here, Moses outwardly and purposefully broke the tablets because of its symbolic meaning of them breaking God's covenant. That was so important that they understood that in their culture, that symbolism, what did we just do? Um, he kind of hit them where it hurt, which is what, at their heart. Uh, and it should have made them immediately um, sorrowful and in, 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 in a repentant state. Uh, the key is when we have to undergo rebuke, don't harden your heart to always want to give an excuse, which is, you know, we'll, we'll go into that next point here uh, as we deal with Moses destroying the idol and him addressing Aaron. But sometimes let it resonate. Don't uh, dismiss the meaning behind the offense because it's for a reason. And if God is chastising you, uh, if he is showing you some tough love. Sometimes we need to do a self-examination of ourselves um, because maybe that's the only way we're going to learn. And it should cause us to reflect back to the act itself and therefore uh, repent for our actions. It says, in destroying the idol, Moses had appointed Aaron along with her to serve as judges and leaders of the people while he was on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and nights. Moses now did what Aaron had failed to do. He boldly stood up to the rebels and condemned their sin. This is where we start to dive into accountability as leaders. Um, Moses, he, he really didn't take any, any nonsense. Um, he pretty much shut the party down. He threw the calf in the fire. He grounded it up. Um, it burnt down. He grounded it into powder. He took the powder and the burnt ashes and he sprinkled it in the water and told him to drink it. You know, he told him to drink it. You guys want to party? Drink it. If you, if you turn to Galatians 6 and 7, um, this is the scripture that came to my mind. Hopefully you can get the, the point behind it. But uh, Galatians 6 and 7 says... Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So they created this calf. They wanted this calf. Moses said, you take it, drink it. Um, Clearly, his action was meant to convey a message. Ingesting the remains of the golden calf probably portrayed the idea that the people would have to suffer the consequences of their sin. It goes on to say that they could not escape its consequences. Um, Accountability as a leader. If you are put into a position of authority to govern or to execute an order, um, especially especially when we're dealing with God's business, it would behoove uh, you and everybody else that you do that duty to the best of your ability. Because uh, if not, there are consequences to be paid um, and excuses uh, are not acceptable. Right. They don't justify your actions. Uh, The complete and utter destruction of the idol sent the message as well. The exclamation point was that the people had to actually drink the water. Um, It goes on to say that apparently not all the Israelites were active participants in the idolatry. However, everyone drank the water. I'll say that again. Not all the Israelites were active participants in the idolatry. However, everyone drank the water. This is a reminder that the consequences of people's sins often extend to those who tolerate and facilitate them. And I think it might even be a double portion of those for those who lead them. Right. Um, The leaders, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Right. That's the same. A lot of weight on your shoulders. But you know what? So is the layperson that sits back and does absolutely nothing. And you see the wrongdoing and you're kind of comfortable with it. You don't speak up and you kind of go along with the get along. Uh, that's where we talked about earlier, where we're talking about abstaining from assimilation. We are supposed to be trying to please an audience of one, which is our Lord and Savior. Um, so that's kind of where we're talking about accountability as a leader. And then we're also accountable to each other, especially as uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Uh, Goes on to questioning Aaron. Moses kind of checks his brother. He said, Aaron must have been nervously waiting for Moses to address him. And now he did. He asked his brother who had been so faithful to him, what the people had done to him that he would bring so great a sin upon him. Um, Moses kind of asked his brother, like, yo, man, what were you thinking? Like, why, why would you do this? And Aaron goes on. Um, he kind of he kind of gave a half answer. He started blaming other people. He said, you, you know, you were gone and they didn't know what happened to you. And you know the kind of people they are, man. You know how they are. They were mischievous. They were looking for, you know, an answer. And they made the suggestion. So I told them to give me the gold. And that's all I know. Next to me, turn around. There was a, a false god out there. There was a, a calf. And as in, in the lesson actually says it, that it was such a ridiculous uh, defense and it was dishonest and indefensible that Moses never even he didn't even respond to, quote, a ludicrous notion. Um, the thing to gather from there is that. No matter 
the excuse. When we are knowingly doing something that is against God's will, we have to take a stand for it, even if it's an unpopular stance, right? We know that probably the overwhelming majority were wanting to move in a different direction away from their true and living God. They weren't sure where Moses was. They kind of wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to have a false God. And so pressure mounted up. And Aaron, not necessarily having the uh, strength to kind of quash the noise, he went along with it. But as we see here, he was equally, if not more so, guilty because he enabled it and he allowed the facilitation of it. Um, so it says here, the utter folly of idolatry is an obvious message in this passage. Idolatry is an affront to God and can never be justified. And that's the bottom line. It's never justified. I don't care who suggests it, who says it, your wife, your husband, your mother, sister, brother, friend, your pastor, your spiritual advisor, your boss. If you know it's an affront to God, it's not justified. And if that means you have to stand alone, then so be it. You won't be alone. You'll be standing with God, right? Or Jesus will be standing with you, I should say. Um, it says, perhaps a more relevant lesson for us comes from Aaron and those others in Israel who failed to stand up against the idolaters. Silently going along with sin without raising objections to it is essentially an encouragement to others to sin. And that in itself is a sin for which we will be held accountable. And that is the third type of accountability that I wanted to talk about. We are accountable as leaders. We're accountable to each other. But more importantly, we are accountable to God and the souls and the lives that we can that we can have an effect on. Right. Um, I believe that we're accountable for our actions I know that we're accountable for our actions and especially so when you know better. So uh, I'll read over our practical points. I hope you got something from the lesson. It says, in God alone, believers have a permanent and perfect standard of morality and holy character. It says rejecting God's word always causes confusion among God's people. Anger can be very destructive, but sometimes it is necessary. Sin dismays those whose hearts and minds are intent on pleasing God. Leaders who fail must repent and turn to God instead of making excuses. Leaders who fail must repent and turn to God instead of making excuses. And the last one is mature leaders should stand on God's word to withstand public pressure. I hope you got something from the lesson. It's my time. Try not to make it too long. Uh, once again, important lesson on patience, important lesson on accountability, an important lesson on abstaining from assimilation. And there's an important lesson on the symbolism of our rebuke. Uh, I pray that this lesson finds you where you are. I pray that if there is any, if there are any idols in your life, you will quickly dismiss of them. 
and destroy them as Moses did the calf. And more importantly, I pray that you will repent uh, as we all need to for our sins and turn to God and away from uh, the things that are displeasing to him. Uh, I hope that we can be more accountable to each other and more accountable to God. And I thank you for your time. May God add a blessing to you and your family. Stay healthy. Stay safe. We'll see y'all later.